You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. It's Friday, August 11th. He's Jack McMullen. I'm R.M. Layton. And we're going to kind of just hit on some notable topics across the minor leagues. I think this is just a catch-up episode. We talked about doing this more often on Fridays. And I think after the Top 100 list comes out on Monday, a big announcement there that will be out on Monday, August 14th, we'll do some mailbag questions on that and continue to break down some of the big movers in that list. But Jack, you and I have just kind of wanted to talk about so many different things that we figured, Hey, why don't we kind of use this as just like a, a topical episode where we hit on all of the different developments as we get down to the final quarter or, or less of this uh, minor league season. Yeah. I'm strapping in. I've got my seatbelt on and I'm ready to ride the roller coaster. That is your prospect brain. I think it's, oh, we should talk about this. Oh, wait, we should talk about this too. And then how about this? I'm I'm ready to go with that. The ebbs and flows for 45 minutes to an hour. Thank you for buckling up. I'm excited because there's a lot of things that I'm excited to pick your brain about, um, as well as some things that you know I've been wanting to just kind of get into and discuss. A couple more like professional debuts and and guys that I've been watching that uh, things I kind of wanted to talk about there. And then also you got an in-person look at, at Tyler Black yesterday that I wanted to kind of tee you up on, on the open Brewers prospect who's, you know, really talented with the bat really quick. I don't think people realize how good of a base dealer he's become former compensation round pick. They're still trying to figure out a defensive home for him, but he's quickly climbed to triple a even after missing time last year with a fractured scapula when they were trying him in center field, he heard himself out there diving. They said, okay, no more of this. We'll put you at third. I think he can kind of be like a third slash first baseman type. 
maybe you could storm in left field. But you told me before we hit record that the Brewers prospect really impressed you with his athleticism. And this is a guy that's going to be on the top 100 update. Yeah, I mean, like this is a guy that is a combo of fast and strong that you just don't get from very many players in minor league baseball. And, and that's the thing, like every top 100 prospect is some combination of fast and strong. But but there are guys that kind of buck that trend a little bit more so. Um, and I think Black is a really good example of that. I'm trying to pluck other examples. I, I think Jackson Holiday is a really good example of that, too, where Holiday is like bigger than you'd expect but also so smooth and can move so well and can get momentum going. And the acceleration is crazy. We know Tyler black had 47 bags and he was a high efficiency base dealer too. I think it was yeah. 47 and 56 attempts in Biloxi. So this guy, like I saw him swipe a bag and it was okay. Pristine jump, but the acceleration was like, how the hell does that come from your body, man? Yeah. Like you're too big to accelerate like that. Yeah. Um, the, the swing is so easy. The setup is so simple. Um, and he's patient, man. We know that like yeah, that's still over 10%. The OBP was over 410 and double. If that guy can be patient, use his speed on the base pass. And he had 14 pumps in double a, like this guy's a very unique hitter and absolutely a top 100 prospect. 19% chase rate. Um, that was going to be the key thing that I hit on there. And then a guy that's just tapped into a little bit more power to the pull side, especially like he's going to run into those balls, pull side and then spray otherwise and use that speed. And I love that profile above average field to hit. He's a fun player. So I was glad you were able to get an in-person look at him and, you know, kind of see what, what he's one of those players that I feel like you have to watch to really appreciate because is, is corny and cliche. It's overused. Like not everything that he does is always going to be seen in the stat sheet. And like yesterday, dude, he was, in the second game of the doubleheader, even in both games, he didn't have a hit yesterday. Technically speaking, he was 0 for 5 in that doubleheader with three walks, but he stole a bag. He scored, I think, two or three runs, uh, and he made some good plays on defense and just you know put the ball in play and sprayed the ball. Like You look at that in the stat sheet, and you're like, oh, well, what did he do? But he actually played very well. So here's the thing, man. Like, and I think Carlos Correa did a great job of this. You remember when Correa was on last postseason? He was on mm-hmm. TBS and he was explaining like what players are looking at now. And he said WRC plus and Woba. Um, and, and he was kind of explaining that. And, and one of the points that he really made with WRC plus was it really helps to walk. And when you go to an arbitration hearing, you can say, hey, my WRC plus was this. But the point he made was, okay, every player in baseball is going to go through an 0 for 10, 0 for 15 stretch, no matter how good you are. Like Otani is going through like 0 for 20 stretches at point. No, he's not going through 0 for 20, but like 0 for 10, 0 for 15. The thing that can spell that and can make it palatable is by walking. Yep. And like 0 for 5 is not a good day, but guess what? He got on base three times and he made shit happen. Like the guys that can make things happen – during an 0 for 5 doubleheader and you still have positive takeaways after an 0 for 5 doubleheader, those are the guys that I really latch on to. No doubt about it. I totally agree. And it really helps just at the, at the end of 162, you look back at the numbers, it helps those those bottoms, you know, kind of be, I guess, just filled in a little bit. Um, yeah, like the valleys aren't as deep. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was looking for. David Schneider, he's in a peak right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Blue Jays, prospect who we've talked about on this podcast, who will be on the show next week. Uh, Very excited about that. 
he has an awesome story. I'm not going to spoil the whole story since we're literally going to have him on next week to talk about it, but a 28th round pick in 2017. If you listen to this podcast, you know, since the beginning of this year, we talked about him. We talked about him as potential call up, uh, just trying to find a spot for him at the time. And, and now through injuries and other things, the Jays have found a spot for him and he's made the most of that situation already, which is so fun to see. Uh, but this is a guy that really tapped into, you know, next level power this year. And, and I'm going to talk, I'm excited to just pick his brain on that, you know, th- this coming week because he saw a big jump in his batted ball data. And that's what really backs the 21 home runs that he hit this year in AAA and two more in the big league. So now he's got 23 homers in 93 games after I think in 2022, what did he hit 16? And before that, I don't think he'd, he'd even sniffed 16. You look at the batted ball data though, 90th percentile exit velocity, jumping several ticks. He adjusted his timing mechanism uh, and some of the moves in his box in the box pre-swing. So there's, there's a tangible adjustment to back this with Davis Schneider uh, as well as just more contact. Yeah. So 2022, 90th percentile exit velocity of 102. 2023, 90th percentile exit velocity of 104.5, while his contact rates have improved and his chase rate has dropped. He's adjusted his moves in the box a little bit with his timing mechanism, and you got the data to back it up, and you've got the surface level stats to back it up. But this dude, in six big league games thus far, Jack, nine hits, a pair of homers, and he's driven in, where are we at here? Why can't I? Oh, he's driven in five in those six games. He's accumulated an 0.6 F4 in six games. Um, It's just been so fun to see. Guy that takes his free passes too, by the way. Um, What a nice little shot of of life for this Blue Jays team. And also just what a cool story as a guy that's grinded his way through the minor leagues. Well, it's it's really funny, like where baseball is i think that's very indicative like you had all of these advanced numbers and you couldn't find rbis <laughs> welcome to baseball in 2023 yeah um yeah man like he was a bluefield blue jay i want to say I, I think they were the bluefield blue jays maybe the bluefield rams or that's the college team let's see what they are uh bluefield blue jays that's right okay so he was um, at the complex when he was a late round big, I think it was like 27th, 28th round at a high school in New Jersey in 2017, 50 games of the complex in 2017 after the draft, 44 games in the Appy League in 2018, 2019, 34 games in the Appy League, 17 games in short season A ball in Vancouver. Then COVID hits. Then he comes back three games in low A, then 46 games in high A. I think it was injury hampered in 21. 2022. High A, double, triple. This year, triple, 21 pumps, and he gets to the big leagues. If that's not climbing, I don't know what it looks like climbing. And and that's a guy that you know, probably kind of got hit with the org guy label. It's usually oh, totally. what you're drafting. In the 28th yeah. round, you're drafting org guys. And he he fully ripped it off. He said, you're not putting this label on me. I'm just going to outperform what any org guy is going to do. Uh, and to get into those specific adjustments that he's made, it's funny. Usually you think leg kick, more power. He was a leg kick guy before, and then he adjusted to a toe tap. But with this toe tap, his weight's already stacked in his backside. So he used to be upright. Leg kick gets me into my backside. But you've got to consistently make that move happen and make sure you're getting into your backside. Now he starts stacked on the backside. I can't wait to ask him about this. And then toe taps to get even deeper in there and stay there. And he's staying there longer. So now his timing's better. 
He sees the ball earlier and as well, perhaps more consistently involved. And now you're seeing the results from a data perspective. Um, Really fun story. And again, we'll save more for when we get to talk to him, uh, you know, this coming week. But I can just tell you from a brief conversation I've had with him before we were going to have him on is that he definitely was in disbelief that this was happening and that there's nothing cooler than that of when, you know, so something happens that you can't even believe in yourself at that, at that point. Like, I don't think anybody ever had David Schneider tabbed as big leaguer when he was drafted in the 28th round. And at times, maybe you even doubt it yourself. And here he is not only being a big leaguer, but making a big league impact for a contending team that is loaded with stars. Awesome story that we're just going to scrape the surface of today. A lot more coming soon. Do you know how I know that that guy is going to be a good interview? I mean, come on. Like that's yeah, one of the, the stronger mustache. mustache. Yeah, that's a crazy strong mustache. Yeah. The mustache and the rec specs, like the sport goggles. Dude, this guy's going to be a great conversation. I know that already. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, another topic I want to get to, which is just a total shift in another direction here. I don't like putting advanced college hitters in low A. And I want to get into this for a second. So I've watched now Dylan Cruz strike out several times on pitches that are simply not strikes and not necessarily close. I I have a tweet with two of the videos there. He struck out two more times yesterday. One of them was his fault. He swung at a pitch that was at his eyeballs, but that might be a byproduct of literally the at-bat before getting called out on a strike that was two balls outside. I, I'm not making excuses for this guy because he's still hitting well and he's going to be a very good baseball player. And I don't need to prove Dylan Cruz to anybody. It's not like I have to make excuses for him. I can say with a fair level of confidence that half of his strikeouts were not strikes. Um, why, why put a college hitter who's renowned for his eye and, and they were talking about it in college road series all the time. Oh my gosh. He has like 2010 vision. And like, he is the best vision of anybody ever. Like it was almost like weird how much they were talking about his vision. Um, but you have Wyatt Langford in high a, you have Matt Sean high a, you have most of these other college guys that are advanced in high a, and then you have the most advanced guy in low a where let's be real, Jack, he has a better eye than the umpires there. And I just don't think this is good for his development. It might be a moot point. It might be up by Tuesday, but I just think it's silly that he's in Fredericksburg right now. I don't like the station to station. I'm with you because this guy, like think, think about his teammate and obviously pitchers and hitters are so ridiculously different. Um, but Skeens just threw 11 pitches at the complex. Where's the next inning he throws? Might be double. Yeah. Yeah, there's no point in sending him to Greensboro. There's no point in sending him to Bradenton at the low A level. Like why hitters do that? I'm not sure. And I remember we had this conversation about J.J. Blade in 19. I want to say where Blade like just got immediately assigned to high A. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wow. You know, that's that's unique. That's lofty. The thing that has changed, I think, for the better is the best college hitters in America are just going to go to high A. Because the, the pitching, pitching is, now. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just better than low A pitching and low A pitching. Like while you may see more 96s in low A, actually, I don't know if you're playing Not in the, the SEC, SEC. Yeah. In the SEC, you may see more 96s than you do in low A. But 
you for sure see better command around the zone. You don't see as many non-competitive pitches as you do in low A. Dude, I'm seeing non-competitive pitches out of the ass in triple A. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I, I thought Cruz was double A ready as soon as he was drafted. I'm not sure why he's got five games in low A. What they may be doing is sending him on the uh, <laughs> the ballpark tour. Hey, go see go see Fredericksburg. Yeah. Um, so they could do homestead week in low A, week in high A, and then finish the year in double. Um, I think that's silly. But yeah, man, like, I don't know. I, I can't fault these organizations. It's also... Just coming from like an affiliate perspective, it's huge for these affiliates to get these guys. That's the thing. And, and Fredericksburg's like on the scale of of lower levels is a pretty popular spot, right? I think so. It's it's new. They've got a new ballpark. I think they just kind of want to flaunt it a little bit and, and they've got it. I, and I get that. I get that. But and there's just a level of I, I really do think if you have a polished hitter at the lower at low A specifically. Because I think there's a big difference from low A to high A in the strike zones. And I've talked to guys about that. Like they feel like low A is is basically high school level with the umpires. And I think it is a lot of like high school umpires mixed in there from yeah. time to time. Roman Anthony is another perfect example of this. And I know he's punching out in high A, but Roman Anthony is a very patient hitter in the Red Sox organization. Sub 20% chase rate. And I think those kind of guys actually are put at a disadvantage in low A. And what did Roman Anthony do in low A? He hit 228, 376, 316. Then he gets to high A. He's hitting 292, 432, 646. He's walking more. And yes, he's striking out more, but I think it's because he's getting into deep counts and he's learning and he just turned 19. But I do think that it, it is just for certain guys, for patient hitters, it works against them in some ways and can kind of get them out of what's a strength for them, which is a good feel for the strike zone. I don't think that Dylan Cruz is going to change because I told you uh, on the last episode, I watched a lot of Dylan Cruz's collegiate case, which wasn't many. And yeah. there were so many pitches where I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's not even close. But there's a couple in the last few games with, with Cruz where I'm just like, this, this is just counterproductive for him. Yeah. So I just wanted to talk about that. Cause Cruz kind of sent me down a rabbit hole of other guys with low chase rates that have actually had worse numbers in low a because their eye actually works against them. So I thought that was interesting. And you're also seeing most of these college guys, which is the other thing I wanted to mention. These college guys are balling out in high A so far. Yeah. Shaw, three hits yesterday. Matt Shaw with the Cubs, triple, homer. Uh, Braden Taylor homered yesterday with the Rays. Uh, Wyatt Langford, another great game in the Rangers system yesterday. Um, he, he picked up a double and a walk the day before that, three hits with a double and a homer. He's in high A. Um, this is going to be a really good college crop, man. I really feel it. I don't want to get too reactionary, but yeah. we knew that this was a hitting heavy draft. And I love so many of these hitters, man. Yeah. Well, and I think we knew that too. I think we were really excited for this year's draft and you know, Hey, next year might be a dud year after that might be a dud. I'm not sure, but you know, Tommy white is, is a top 10 pick next year. He's probably a top five pick. I like Cruz and Lankford and oh. All these guys way more than Tommy White. I might even like Matt Shaw more than Tommy White. That's the thing, man. So like next year could be a quote unquote dud of a draft. Yeah. But this year we cannot kick a gift horse in the mouth. I think it was 2017, that NBA draft that, you know, I think people looked at and it's like, oh, this isn't as good as 2016. But then like you see the talent that comes off the board and it's like, OK, yeah, like this class is really good. And I think that's what we should be doing here. We we shouldn't be taking this class for granted. And 
you know, I, I think that Lankford and Cruz are going to have a big competition throughout their entire career. Like, hey, Cruz went before me. I thought I was better than him. I think Walker Jenkins and Max Clark are going to have a big competition throughout yeah. their entire career. I think Skeens and Louder are going to compete throughout their entire career. I think Dolander is going to have a chip on his shoulder trying to prove that oh, yeah. he was the guy. I think that there is so much talent that came off the board in the top 20, top 30 picks. Um, even a guy like Arjun Namalo, who I really like pre-draft, and I, I know you've seen some more swings and you're starting to really like too. I, I think this class is is loaded with great talent. I'm, I'm with you 100%. And I, I do think that it's the affiliate type thing. You know, sell it out with the, with Dylan Cruz here. Because again, and you look at some of the other guys in high A, um, yeah, they, they they would they know that he's ready for high A. I, I really think by Tuesday he's, he's and that in high A. And that's the thing, man. Like, you know, from from the baseball perspective, from the baseball mind perspective, we never really want to acknowledge that it could be as simple as that. But I'm telling you, from a minor league perspective, it could be as simple as that. They that's want a him game changer for them, tour. man. That's a game total game changer. changer. He, and if I, he's there for a homestand, you sell way more tickets. And what's what's you know five six games for him in the grand scheme of things? So I, I get it. I get it. But yeah, I'm excited to look back at this college class. You know, even at some point next year and see how all these guys are doing. Braden Taylor's swing man looks really darn good. Let's go on the other side of things, though. We talk about not being aggressive enough with promotions. This is something that I don't want to cast too much blame, but this is something that I was really eager to talk to you about. And I don't want to get, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but aggressive promotions of AJ Smith Shaver of the Braves yeah. have him in flux here, kind of. Not in flux, like I, I don't, like the, anything has changed in terms of his outlook. But I, what kind of got me going on this was I'm trying to rank this dude in our top 100 update because. He technically has not graduated yet. And Smith Shaver started the year in high A. Several months ago, he was in high A and dominating. And if he just went up to double A and dominated there and was still there right now, he's probably a top five pitching prospect in baseball, right? He's 20 years old. They bump him up to triple A and he looks really solid there. At that point, he's a top three pitching prospect in baseball, but then they bring him up to the big leagues after two triple a starts. I think it was two innings out of the pen. Looks really good. Five and a thirds against the nationals where he holds his own. And then we see him start to run into a bit more trouble. Okay. Outing against the Rockies, not a great outing against the reds. Then they send him back to triple. And then in St. Paul, which we we're just talking about, like is weirdly a launch pad. St. St. Paul, he gets shelled in three and a third. Then Memphis, kind of a meh start. Really good start against Norfolk. Hey, you're back up to the big leagues now, and you got to pitch against the Brewers. Yeah. Pretty solid start there. Then back down to Charlotte, where six innings, three runs, seven Ks. It's breaking my brain on how to assess him as a prospect, but as we just kind of flew through that, it makes me want to shove him up even higher. And I feel like the Braves... I'm sure he's not complaining because he's getting big league time. So it's not a problem, but this just feels like they're tossing him out around like a freaking rag doll, man. Yes. So Charlotte is a launch pad as well. So Charlotte, he did allow a homer. It was five hits, three earned and six innings. So it's still a quality start, although that's, you know, the loosest version of a college of a quality start you can possibly get. Um, 
he started in Milwaukee or he started against Milwaukee, pardon, at home. But then like Memphis, that's a home run friendly ballpark. St. Paul, home run friendly ballpark. I And I don't want to look at it ballpark by ballpark because I agree with you. Like it's kind of weird how they're throwing him around. But what I will say is I remember the conversation that we had with Tucker Davidson when he was with Atlanta on the Just Baseball show. And Tucker Davidson did not have the prospect intrigue that Smith Schauber has, but he was a tweener. He was the guy that would come up for spot starts. And he said, it's so easy to buy in when this team is winning and has like legitimate World Series aspirations. So I will say that AJ's probably not looking at a call up like, oh, they just need me as a warm body. It's, oh, they need me to go win this game for them because they're the best team in baseball. I think there's a different temperature that surrounds this when you are the best team in baseball and you've got Freed on the shelf until this point and you've got Kyle Wright on the shelf until this point and you've got inconsistency from Strider and Bryce Elder after the break. So good point. I I think that this is a situational anomaly for AJ Smith-Shaver. But for a 20-year-old that was a ja- or was a uh, was an Augusta Green Jacket last year, like also best name in minor league baseball. I think I've settled on that. The Augusta Green Jackets in Augusta, Georgia. That's so good. Yeah. Um, but man, for a guy that was in Low A last year and like, frankly, not that great in Low A. It was yeah. mid fours. Yeah. I mean, this is this has to be imposter syndrome 101. But <laughs> also, like, I fucking deserve this. Let's go. I'm 20 years old. I should be in the big leagues. It's funny because you mentioned Tucker Davidson and I was kind of thinking about some of the conversations we've had with Walker Buehler on the Just Baseball show where it was like he was in this position of, you know, the the Dodgers are trying to win right now. And and he he was trying to make an impact. He doesn't it's love coming out of the bullpen because Buehler was like Buehler was a top 30, top 20 prospect in baseball when yeah. this was happening. So I think it's a similar situation where it's like, OK, this is a. The Braves are bordering on dynasty. You know, this group, I think, has a chance that when we look back is going to be, a, you know, a dynasty. And depending yeah. on how they do this year, I, I, if they can win a World Series here, they're, they're for, for, I think, fully in the dynasty conversation. You, when you have a dynasty, you, you kind of throw some of the, that stuff to the wayside, to your point. And I, I guess this is one of those things where it's like, we're not going to, you know, baby him and and put the gloves on and and just kind of. You know, make sure that everything is perfect for AJ Smith Shaver because our rotation is decimated. The guys in front of him didn't hold up their end of the bargain in Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd. So we got to try something here. And I get it from that lens because it's championship or bust for the Braves every single year. And again, AJ Smith Shaver's clock is starting. And I don't think he's upset about that. What's interesting is now let's be selfish about this. How do you rank this dude? Because this is one of the biggest sticking points for me in the top 100. If if he, again, he was striking out nearly 15 per nine through his three starts in high A, then he gets up to double A, uh, and we only saw seven innings in double A, but he punched out nine, walk three. Then he gets to triple A, and the walks start to tick up a little bit as the zone gets really tight. But again, this guy had to adjust on the fly to multiple levels. He didn't even really get to adjust to double A. Also threw with a tacked ball for seven innings, then went back to a big league ball, which is bizarre. 16 walks in those 30 innings. I think that was more nibbling and adjusting to a baseball again after using you technically use three baseballs in, in a span of like a couple weeks. Yeah. And then the big league level, not the whiff numbers you'd expect and, and slightly elevated walk, but he's he shouldn't be in the big leagues, technically speaking. How do you rank this dude? Because if he's shoving in high A and double A, he, we're putting him in the Cade Horton spot. 
but now we're not seeing him ranked in that spot. And I think it's weird because it's like, I think a lot of prospect lists and maybe some evaluators are pitting his ability to survive at the big leagues against him because he's just surviving. No, I, Cade Horton's not surviving at the big league level right now. I don't think. No. Um, I mean, Painter like isn't throwing at the big league level because he's not available. Um, Mizorowski, I don't think he's surviving at the big league level oh, right hell now. No. So the way that I would advise you to look at it is throw the big picture stuff away as much as you can and look at each pitch in a vacuum. Yep. Okay. How much do you like his fastball? His fastball, is it better than Horton's? Is it better than Mizorowski's? Look at his slider. Is his slider better than Horton's? Is his slider better than Mizorowski's? Like, I, I would almost view it as a pitch by pitch and see where he wins in each pitch. Yeah, and that's that's a great point and something that I was trying to do a little bit of, but then it kind of always comes back to this. Okay, 66% strike rate on the season on his fastball. All of the secondaries are around 55% strike rate. Mm-hmm. Is that because of secondary command? Is that because he's nibbling? Is that because he's trying to throw? Remember, strike rate is slightly, I, I think it's almost skewed to a degree because his strike rate, or I, I guess the zone that he's trying to throw within is tighter than the zone that his peers that are going to be ranked here are trying to throw within. So, so some of the I breaking also- balls that are a ball out that never get called a strike in the big leagues because these umpires are incredible, no matter how much people want to you know, talk crap about them. I mean, they, they miss one or two a game for the most part in double a, you know, you're getting consistently a ball or two balls off. So, so it, it makes it hard. Now, let me say this. Um, the, I, I know that there is a big league starter that is pretty much split his time evenly between triple a and the big league so far this year whose strike rate is up over 10% in the big league compared to AAA. I think it's 13% is the exact number because of the automatic ball strike system. Like there's no malleability there. So it's easier to get a called strike in the big leagues than it is in AAA this year. Interesting. So that's another thing. you got to look at AAA arms like yeah. that. It's, it's, it's so layered. Um, but I think the, the genesis of it is that Smith Shavers probably, if you look at the industry rankings, like I'm not sure where Pipeline has them or BA has them in the, in the latest update. Um, I don't know if you can pull up like where, yeah, I, I think I can try to pull up Baseball America in the meantime, because I know they just updated theirs. And of course, they always do a great job. And on, yeah, on the new top 100, Smith Shavers 58. Yeah. I, I think again, that's low. I think he'd be higher. I think, I think he'd, be, he'd higher. be higher if he never got called up. And I think that's a crazy statement. <laughs> like that's, that's a wild thing to say. Uh, 46 for baseball America. Yeah. Here's my question. Jackson Job or AJ Smith Schaffer? I have no problem being the high guy on Smith Schaffer. Yeah. Right. And I love Job. And again, check out that interview that we just did with him. He was awesome, by the yeah. way. Uh, so... So insightful for a 21-year-old high school righty who started pitching his junior, senior year. Um, that that was one of my favorite interviews we've had in some time. And the live breakdown to check out on our YouTube where he broke down his recent dominant high A start. That was that was awesome stuff from him. Um, I'm, I'm a Jackson Job fan, no doubt about it. But yeah, I think you, he's, AJ Smith-Shopper is younger and Job's just getting his feet wet in high A. 
it, it's really wild how you can like kind of compare across and you know, see all these different types of situations here. And then you got to try to rank these guys against each other. And it's, it's, it's kind of wild staying on the topic because you brought this up on a follow-up when I was texting you last night. Wait, I've got, I've got one quick big league question for you here before we moved off the Braves. You said they're approaching dynasty type. Yeah. Um, 2021 and 2023, if they do win the world series in 2023, how many of these names were how many of like the big boppers and the big names on the 2023 Atlanta Braves played a big part in the 2021 World Series? I'm thinking about the lasting impression that that these players will have in the history of baseball if the Braves do turn into a dynasty. You say Acuna, but Acuna was a no, non-factor. He, was he, he wasn't on the field. So Sean Murphy, not on the team. On the Matt team. Olson, not on, on the team. team. Albies, yes. Orlando Arcia, not on the team. Austin Riley, yes. Rosario, Eddie Rosario is not going to be a big name here. Michael Harris, not. <laughs> Acuna, non-factor. And then you go to the rotation, Strider, not on the team. Elder, not on the team. Charlie Morton and Max Freed. But Morton's leg was broken. Morton's leg was broken, but he did throw a couple innings on that broken leg. Yeah, it's but just, like he didn't really, he, he got them to the World Series, but yeah. So that's the thing. The lasting names from these World Series wins are Freed, Riley, and Ozzy Albies. That's what's scary, dude, is it like you could make the case that the dynasty's just starting. And I know, I know. And I uh, think that Strider and Harris are going to be huge names in that moving forward. So actually, let's stick on the Braves point then. Do you think they adversely affected Von Grissom? Yes. You think so? Grissom off the dome is like an 850 OPS in triple right now. He's hammering triple A. He's up to 890 now. This guy's like a big league shortstop for 20, 20 other teams, I think. Yeah. And even if he can't play great defensively there, okay, let's see him at third. Let's see him at second. Like, let's, this guy's but there's a bat. no space, man. Like, that's the thing. I, I think if they truly felt like Vaughn Grissom was the guy, they would have been more patient with him. But that, I think it was a two year, $9 million deal for RC. They yeah. knew they had something in Orlando Arcia. A hundred percent. They saw something there. And, and I think he learned with Ron really quickly and his yeah. defense got impactful. It was like, they were fighting for Von Grissom to be a passable defender. They were fighting for Arcia to become a plus defender. And I yeah. think that's a big difference there. And that's what they need. You look at that lineup. They don't need offense. Arcia swinging it regardless, but they didn't need offense. But one of my biggest like misses going into this year was that I felt like Von Grissom could play good enough defense there, but maybe he can't. Maybe it was more about Arcia being a better defender. My question is, does this, did they rush him or, or is he kind of in a separate conversation here? Because you look at what he did for them at the big league level. I know he hit a wall at the end of the year, but he yeah. played a big part in helping them get to where they got 41 games, 121 WRC plus not great defense, but again, he worked hard on it. It got better. He hasn't gotten a fair shot at all this year because Arcia, you know, kind of took that from him. And that's the nature of the business. But he's lighting up triple A now. And like, what else? What do you do with him moving forward? I don't know if they adversely affected him, but he's definitely stuck. Yeah, I think you trade him in the offseason. Um, I like I don't know. He's really young. Like he, He's what? He's 21 years old in triple right now. 
could have an 892 22 22 like okay if if arcia arcia's you know last year of his of his mini extension next year so say arcia has one more year if he gets hurt von grissom is there um if not grissom's your guy in 2025 and hey that would line up perfectly if you didn't rush grissom to the big leagues last year and he was really good last year so yeah i i think they threw off the narrative with von grissom last year but it's going to sound like I'm regurgitating this take from Smith Schaffer, but it was so situational for one of the best teams in baseball last year to get Grissom up. Smith Schaffer, the only reason he debuted this year is because Fried and Wright were hurt and Schuster and Dodd didn't work out. That's yeah. why AJ yeah, exactly. in the big leagues. 100%. Last year, Grissom isn't sniffing the big leagues. He probably isn't even sniffing AAA if Ozzy Albies doesn't break his foot. I mean, he skipped triple and and... Also, like barely played in double two weeks in double, maybe a week in double. Like, that's the thing. Vaughn Grissom is not in the position he's in right now. Like, oh, he's blocked. He's just a really good prospect. If Albies doesn't break his foot in 2022, that's the nature of the beast with the best teams. This this is another frustrating one because he's probably on this normal track. And, you know, in one of those situations where you're watching him just rake through double a he probably would have put up nuclear numbers. They had a 147 WRC plus in 22 games there. He's a top 20 prospect in baseball yeah. right now. If so he doesn't debut last year. That's the crazy thing. And we were talking about this on the Just Baseball show. There's a level of like, it would be cool to see rankings of just talent under 25. Because people always say, oh, well, the Braves farm system isn't good. Yeah, it's not great. But you add Von Grissom to the farm system. And now it looks a little bit better. You start to value some of the guys that are underrated in that system. It looks a little bit better. It's like there's there's teams that don't have great farm systems, but they have good talent under 25. And I think yeah. that's a side of it that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, the, the narrative on Von Grissom has been you know negatively impacted because you know he got up to the big leagues and then now is back down in triple. And we in our minds we almost like oh he was up in the big leagues and didn't stay. That's we're knocking him a couple points. I feel like even though. The fact that he even survived up there is a testament to how damn good he is. So for me, Grissom, I still think he's going to be a really good big leaguer. And he's almost become forgotten because of being up there and then sent back down. Does he do it at shortstop? I don't know. I got to do an updated video dive on that. Um, I obviously was overly bullish on the defense, um, but I I, I don't see why he can't continue to learn and hold hold it down long term. He's 22 and was just turned 22 at the start of the year. One other guy I want to talk to you about, about kind of his development and the uniqueness of like the back and forth is Taj Bradley. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some concern about his health. I I thought he looked really good last night. So I think he kind of put that to bed um, because his velocity was down slightly and he had just a short start in Nashville on the fourth. But then yesterday, five and two thirds against Memphis, three hits, no runs, two walks, eight Ks. It was a rough stretch for Bradley uh, for a little bit where it was a lot of short starts, you know, two, three, four, sometimes five runs. Um, and, you know, the, they had to just kind of keep rolling them out there because the Rays are as decimated as any team we've we've seen in the pitching department, unfortunately. Yeah. 22 years old still. And another guy that, you know, he's flown through the minors very quickly. It's a little bit of a different situation because you can make the case that he definitely was big league ready. We were pounding the tables for him to get called up earlier. But I'd almost wish he was in a situation where he could have just been out there and and struggled and worked through it. But again, this is a team that was one of the best. It was the best team in the American League through the first half. And it was fizzled out a little bit, but is still you know focused on contending. Where are you at on Taj Bradley at this point? Um, 
Yeah. Is your outlook changed at all? Because this is another guy that just turned 22. Oh no, he didn't succeed, you know, in flying colors at the big league level. But I also think some of his big league challenges are challenges that aren't necessarily going to go away anytime soon. So I think this is a unique spot. Yeah, it's a very unique spot. What I will say is this guy has proven that his fastball, when at its best, can get guys out and can get whiffs at will. And I think that's why I still hold on to a lot of hope. And I loved Taj Bradley coming into this year because that fastball is that is that FU fastball. It's an electric fastball that stays up. I'm going to point to usage as simple as that is. I wish he threw his curveball more, man. Like this guy is throwing, I think right now, 45% four seamer. He's throwing about 30% cut fastball at 89. And opponents are hitting 320 against his cut fastball. Yeah, that's against his curveball that he's throwing 17% of the time, opponents are hitting a buck 60. If he can find that fastball curveball changeup mix as opposed to fastball cutter and the mix in curveball and change, I think this guy's outlook changes overnight. Yeah. And he just doesn't have confidence in that, in that curveball. And, you know, that's that cutter slider. It's kind of like those, that tweener shape. So depending on what tracks it, it'll be labeled differently. And it's frankly not good enough right now. Yeah. And it really works off the fastball. And it's, it's interesting too. I'm looking at a guy that's fastball dependent, of course, but there's a lot of guys that have success that are fastball dependent, who's even in the big league ebbs and flows struck out 12 per nine. But here's the thing. He's also way above any any usage, really. I guess he's he's right on par with last year where they had to slow him down, where last year he threw a hundred and was it thirty-two innings? And so this year he's bordering on that, but these are I think have been a lot more high stress innings uh, at the big league level. Yeah, I do wonder how much they can stretch him out now this year, too, because if if his fastball is slightly diminished, he's really not going to succeed. And, you know, we saw in spots when the velo was down, he got crushed. And then when the velo is back up, he, he pitches really well. The problem, too, is fastball cutter or slider. It's a cutterish slider. Yeah. It, you're looking hard and harder. And that's why he's giving up so many home runs. He went through a span where he gave up in eight starts, 12 homers. And that's going to be the trouble. So, yeah, I agree. He's got to find that curveball. But here's my question for you. Do you send him to triple and have him work on that curveball? Or do the fight or flight raise just have him try to survive up at the big leagues? Like, talk about impacting a guy's development. I can promise you, dude, if he's at the big leagues, he ain't working on that curveball. He's trying no. to d- dominate with the fastball and make that that slider that short cutterish slider work because it's worked in the minors and it's been a good pitch. Yeah. That's what he's doing. So where are you at there? So I'm actually on the ladder and I never side on that side. I'm never on that side. I'm always like, Hey, go figure shit out. But with the raise situation with how unique it is, where like McClanahan might be looking at a second TJ now, I mean, they are grasping at straws for the rest of the year. Zach Eflin is so important. Savali is so important, but you need two more starters. And like, they can only go with the opener every now and again, man. You, If they were running out three openers out of five rotation spots, I feel terrible about that. So terrible about it. They traded Evan McKendry at the deadline. I don't think they should have done that. Um, yeah. 
which is so but, weird for a catcher. For a catcher, for Alex Jackson. Um, you just saw McKendry yesterday, by the way. Um, I really like him. He's crafty. Yeah, like he's not, you know, he's not going to be a big league three, but that guy can go make spot starts for the Tampa Bay Rays when they and have they, no other starters. They need spot starts. They need spot starts. I was shocked by that move. Yeah, I don't think Taj goes down, especially with where his innings are right now. You started to make that point. He threw 133 innings last year. I think he's got about 10 more starts left in the tank, and that takes you through the end of the season and into the postseason easily. He's at just under 100 innings right now. I feel good upping his inning total by 20 this year. So going from 133 to 153, that gives you 53 innings to play with right now, and 53 innings will get you through the first week in November if they're lucky enough to do that. Got you. And just to make this the craziest episode that we've done in a while, I'm going to pivot to Jung Hoo Lee. Perfect. I'm in. And this is what we'll wrap up with here. And we're definitely going to need timestamps for this episode. Um, so <laughs> let's, let's, let's hammer those out together after this, after this episode. Um, Jung Hoo Lee, KBO star. And I know you love Jung Hoo Lee. Uh, he, this is an interesting spot. And I wanted to talk about him because I want to talk about the international prospects a lot more on this podcast because one, you're seeing them continue to make more of an impact at the big league level. And two, this free agent class coming up is like not great from a big league perspective, but you've got Yamamoto coming over. You've got some other guys that could potentially be posted that are interesting. And Lee is a, is, is a fun spot because I kind of want to ask you like KBO is a little bit different in terms of, the, the the level of of competition, you know, it's it's not going to be the same as the NPB. I, I like. Would you say KBO is closer to high A? NPB is closer to double. Like that's the rough rule of thumb. But I think there's there's spots in in the NPB where it's clo- it's closer to triple. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably fair. The, the KBO is like certainly a step lower on the ladder than the NPB, and like, but it is the third best highest level league in the world. And I think Hassan Kim and what he's doing, you know, he had the acclimation process, but what he's doing is is definitely going to, I think, encourage teams to to go make some moves and and potentially go after somebody like Jung Ho Lee. He had ankle surgery, and I think he still plans to you know be posted. And and I think John Morosi said that he still plans to sign with a major league team this winter. Yeah. How much do we look at the numbers versus just like the scouting reports on a, on guys like this? Because again, Lee was hurt this year. So 85 games, only six pumps, 863 OPS. But in 2022, 349, 421, 575 slash. And that's a 996 OPS. He had 23 home runs. Yeah. That's, I think, better than anything. I'm going to pull it up. I think that's better than anything Hassan Kim did at that yeah. level. Are you signing a guy like this to instantly plug him into the big leagues or, you know, are you willing to be patient with guys like this? Like, I'm just interested in the approach but with the NPB guys. I have far more confidence because they're doing it at a higher level and you, yeah. you have a little bit more access to. I'm just trying to figure out where he stacks up uh, because this again, this is a light free agent class. And this is a guy that I think teams are going to get more eager on. You're seeing Yoshida do what he's doing out of the MP out of the MPB. You're seeing a lot of these guys start to make smoother transitions. Kodai Sanga throwing really well. Like there was yeah. a history where th- there was a negative connotation with these with these players overseas because a lot of them would come over and just not 
look great. We didn't have as much data. We didn't have as much info. Uh, we didn't have probably even access to as much video. And it was probably harder to even get over there and see them. It's different yeah. now. How much more confidence do you have in these players overseas? A lot more. Honestly, a lot more. And, and I think Kim is the best example. I was trying to go back deep to Shinsu Chu, but but that that's kind of weird because he came over stateside so young. So let's go to Ha Sung Kim right now. And, you know, Ha Sung Kim is last year in the KBO. Kim hit 306, 397, 524, 921 OPS. He had 30 pumps. He was 23 for 25 in the stolen base department. He comes over as a 622 OPS, then a 708. Now an 835. So there is an exclamation process. But what you got from Hassan Kim immediately was gold glove caliber defense and a 620 OPS. That's a major league baseball player, and that's a big league regular. Um, I know the OPS is 100 points below average, but like when you're getting that defense, you pallet that. The scouting reports on Lee say really good defender. And I think Lee, what you're finding out now, yes, better numbers sitting 319 this year in 85 games. That's the lowest clip of his life in the KBO. And he debuted at 18 years old back in 2017 in the KBO. So, man, like this guy is is pretty much flawless when it comes to approach. This year, missing time with an ankle issue, 13% walk rate, 6% K rate. 85 games, he struck out 23 times. Yeah. I'm not worried about lack of impact. And when these guys come over from the KBO or the MPB, they are immediate big leaguers. I think this guy, when he comes over at 25 years old, knowing that you're you're dreaming on more offensive output than Hassan Kim and, and good defense in a corner, is probably a five-year 20 AAV guy. Wow. So you think you think he can get like a hundred million dollars? I think he can get a hundred million dollars, especially with where the market's at right now in a very thin system or in a very got, uh, thin market. Four years twenty-eight. He got four for 28. Yeah. I'm telling you, the KBO guys get way less. Mm. Isn't that crazy how much less the KBO guys get? How much do you think Yamamoto is going to get? Gross. Like, I think he gets the five years, like something more than saying it potentially. So that's the interesting thing. And I, to your point, though, would rather take a chance on these guys at four years, 28, when I'm a small market team. This is what I wanted to wrap up with. Would you rather sign a, like, I don't even know who a free agent would be this year, but let's say like a Michael Conforto or a Jung Hoo Lee and take the chance. I'd rather sign Lee. I think that's fun. And is Jung Hoo Lee's instantly a top 100 prospect, right? If we're ranking those guys. Instantly. Yeah. He's instantly a top 30, 40. Like, I'm just, I, I have to do so much more research on the international guys and, and I want to do more coverage of this. So this was kind of our foray into it. So like excuse some of our, uh, you know, some of our ignorance, maybe to some of the aspects of it. Cause I know some listeners are very into it and that's why I want to get deeper into, you know, how these players come over. I just look at the swings and by the way, like Jung Hoo Lee, I love his setup because he starts super stacked on the backside. He has yeah. one of these unique timing mechanisms where he starts a gather which like, instead of it being one load, he starts open. And as the pitcher starts his, you know, come set and, or starts his windup, he brings his foot over and it's almost close to his back foot. So his weight's totally stored backwards. And then he explodes on the baseball. That's risky. If you have a forward move, 
but he doesn't have a crazy forward move. That's something to monitor. But like if he stays back and that's a really fun swing that'll work and he seems to swing off the back leg pretty well, this guy's going to make a lot of contact. If he makes a lot of contact, he plays good defense. Like I'll give him the Hassan Kim deal any day of the week. And to, to, to the point of what you were saying, like you see a guy that could be worth a hundred million dollars. I don't disagree. Why don't more teams, small market teams take flyers on these types of guys? Yes. It might not work out. Gene Segura didn't work out for the Marlins. Yeah. They they owe him $9 million next year. Like, it, why not take a chance on this guy rather than the journeyman big leaguer because the floor is slightly higher. Like I'm, I'd rather shoot for the stars if I'm a small market team. Him came over at 25 years old. Oh, like I guess he's not a hundred million dollar guy no. because of the league he's coming from. Yes. That's what I'm saying. It's that different from the KBO. That's so weird. Most people wouldn't know that though. Like that's the thing. Like, it's it's really fascinating. When, yeah, how much less teams are willing to invest in a KBO player than an MPB player? I was going to say so. Murakami Murakami's not coming over for a couple of years, but when Munitaka Murakami comes over, that's 150 guaranteed. Like, yes, that's the starting point. Yes, and he's all on the bat. Like it's you're not getting value anywhere else. He's stretched you're, at third. He's probably first base DH, and he's got whiff concerns generational type power out of Japan and, and we he's breaking records, but if he doesn't rake, you're, you're a sunken 150 million. I look at 20 something million for a Hassan Kim type. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think we're going to start seeing more KBO prospects. One come over and two make more money. Um, and, and I'm interested to see kind of how this continues because this is just the beginning, man. Japan wins the world baseball classic. Like, we're getting more exposure that way. I don't underestimate how antiquated some of these teams are in, the, in terms of how they approach international, you know, signing. I promise you just Japan winning on our big stage is, is probably opened the minds to some of the older mm. executives and some of the, 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 the folks that just remember back to, Oh, remember, you know, this guy that didn't pan out and who was the Yankees guy who, um, I forget, like, I'm pretty sure Steinbrenner called him like a fat lard, which was horrible. And then it, sadly it was a bust and ended up taking his own life. Like it was one of the worst stories I've read. I, I caught up on this recently. Um, I remember yeah, no horrible story. Uh, and I think there's like this negative connotation of like, we don't know. It's a mixed bag. We'll see what happens. It was the same thing with the Cuban players that would come over. I remember the conversation around Yoannis Cespedes was, can he hit a curveball? Like every, it's like, oh, can can the players who come from Cuba hit a curve? I'm like, that's like borderline, like, like that's borderline racist. To borderline say. Like, racist. It's not. Can they hit a curveball? It's can they hit big league pitching? And we'll see. Like, it's 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 interesting. I want to continue to have conversations about this, and as we get closer to free agency and more players getting posted, and I also wrote a really detailed piece on uh, Roki Sasaki. If you want to look that up on just baseball.com, look up Roki Sasaki. I broke down his arsenal and you know why I think it can really play at the big league level. That's a guy that's going to make over 150 million. But yeah, yeah, I just kind of wanted to end with a free flowing conversation about what the future is of, you know, players coming over from Japan in the KBO. Cause I think this is just the beginning of a second wave. And I think a higher, you know, a higher rate of players, not only coming over, but hitting, you know, or, or like succeeding. And I think yeah. those two things will go hand in hand because the more success, the more confidence. And also there's just more talent over there. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to split the difference here. I think five years for 60 is what Lee gets. Do you think Hassan Kim is inspired enough that like they're going to start to, you know, pay I think so. Money? 
And I think I think the market that Lee is entering is just way larger than the market that Kim entered. It's also not a great it's not a great um, free agent yeah, class. Kim's free agent class. Like I think he they said, oh, we'll just go get another big leaguer who does exactly what you do. Yeah. So we'll give you so. Let's see. I'm excited. I have no freaking clue, man. So I, I won't even pretend to know what the money's going to be. Also, like five straight gold gloves, um, and also won the MVP. So, I mean, that's that's going to play. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I'm fascinated by the deal too. Also, Hideki Irabu was the name. That's what it is. Hideki Irabu. Really, yeah, I, story. I just skimmed this story. That's brutal. Yeah, I mean, came over had a terrible work ethic and you know that's why they were upset like okay you draft guys all the time that have terrible work ethics like it's it, it, it's it's interesting and i don't it's funny i think it's almost the other way around now when you see most of these players that are coming over that seem to have a better uh, like idea that. of professionalism than than some of the the guys that we see that you know come, come from you know situations where they're celebrated as the number one overall guy from from the word go and you know haven't earned nearly as much like it's it's going to be fun to see more of these guys come over. So we'll be talking more about that. That'll do it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed our range of just crazy topics all over the place. Um, we'll be doing a lot more of these kind of just like stream of consciousness, catch you up on what's going on in the baseball world episodes. But before that, we got a Davis Schneider interview that's going to come hand in hand with a top 100 update that yep. will be out on Monday, the 14th. Very excited for that. Um, as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a rating. I'd love to see that get back up to uh, five stars. I think we're at four, eight. Somebody didn't like us. So uh, I'd really appreciate that. Um, and if you could subscribe on YouTube, help us grow our channel. That would be great as well. Uh, that's it for this week. Looking forward to a loaded next week. And until then, look forward to talking prospects with you next week. Have a great weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.